Hey everyone, thanks so much for the warm welcome. Uh, I'm not gonna spray myself throughout this whole thing. So, uh, I'm like, if I give this to someone else besides my daughter, like what will happen? Patricia, do you mind taking this real quick? If anyone wants this from Patricia, or there's three in the back, please be comfortable, hydrate. Uh, take care of your body. This is an embodied ministry at ECV. We care for you because God cares for us. So glad you're here. Uh, it's Pentecost Sunday. This is our last Sunday in our teaching series, Grace on the Other Side. Uh, I want to just start with uh, a quick little story. I had a friend, uh, born and raised in New Haven. I was in uh, the car with him, and he said, you know, I'm trying a new skill lately. I'm trying to drive without Google Maps directions in my own city because, you know, this is my city, and I want to see, like, if I know my way around, all these things. Instantly, my kind of anxiety went up a little bit. I'm like, Oh shoot, like I'm definitely still like Google Mapsing all the time, like in New Haven. Uh, not just because I'm, I don't know where things are, but because I wanna know like how fast it will take me to get there. I wanna know what like is in the way. Like, is there a traffic? Is there something? Maybe I do wanna know if there's like a Dunkin' Donuts or something else, may maybe sometimes. But a lot of times it's like, I need to know what's going to happen. My friend on the other hand, no. I just wanna see if I know my city. I wanna know how to get to point uh, A and point B and everything will happen in between. My friend on the other hand is like, can I develop a kind of relationship with my city where I just kind of know where I'm going? Uh, I'm aware of where I am, and that's something I can bring into, you know, uh, every place I go, whether my phone breaks or not. It's like, okay, that's two different ways of doing things. Uh, I'm, I admire my friend. I, I still use Google Maps, but I admire what he was doing. Uh, today, we're really going to think about what it means for us to be directed in life. What does it mean for us to be directed in life? Because sometimes we go for that Google Maps, easy direction from point A to point B, and I wonder how much God is invested in that same kind of efficiency versus the ways that we can follow the Spirit, still get directed, but in a different way. Usually, I think we have a quest for making it, for getting things done, for being efficient, for living life as a hustle. What happens when we release from that kind of way of living and live into a different way of being directed. It's really a way of being directed with relationship with God, even if it requires waiting. It's a good day to press into that relationship with God because it is Pentecost. Pentecost comes from this term that means 50 days later, 50 days after Jesus went to the cross. It's the day where the Holy Spirit, God's very presence fell on people and people experience God no matter who they were, they experienced the Holy Spirit. And it's after Jesus told the disciples to wait, to wait for this time in order to experience the Holy Spirit. The disciples waited for relationship. And the Spirit, this side of Jesus' resurrection, that's what mediates our relationship with God. So the Spirit of God is what mediates our relationship with God. Yes, we have God the Father, we have Jesus the Son, but who is this Holy Spirit? We're going to talk a little bit more about that today. Sometimes we can think the story of the Spirit starts right in that chapter, the uh, famous chapter I think uh, you guys are going to read later for Come Holy Spirit, Acts uh, chapter 2, a book in the New Testament. But the Spirit of God is actually all throughout God's story in the Bible. Even in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, we see the Spirit hovering over creation. We see the ways that the Spirit of God is present, moving, full of life, covering absolutely everything. And then that same spirit breathed life into us, animating his creation. The, the hope was that God could direct us from that animation of us coming alive, but it, it didn't work that way. That's not the way the story 
ended. It's so easy to favor that kind of efficiency, that kind of hustle, that sometimes we don't notice this creator God that breathed life into us. It's easy to forget to follow Jesus' invitation to wait or to go, and it's easy to forget the Holy Spirit altogether. It's easy to make an invisible but active God simply invisible and walk away. This is why Pentecost matters so much. It's not that the Holy Spirit is showing up on that day for the first time, but the Holy Spirit is showing, revealing who the Holy Spirit is, that the Holy Spirit dwells with us with incredible power, not just priests, not just religious officials, but anyone, everyone, all people being filled with the Holy Spirit. Something about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection changes how humans can receive the Spirit. So why does any of this matter, though, for us? Sounds important, sounds theological, but why does it matter? There's an ancient poem in the book of Psalms. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. There's a sense that if God's not the architect of our lives, the one who's building and shaping us, our efforts just become hustle. They just become toil. It's not the same as being led by that spirit that's moving, that's active, that's full of life and covers absolutely everything. So when you look at your own life, this Pentecost Sunday, where do you see the Spirit? Do you see places in your life where the Spirit is moving? The Spirit is present. The Spirit is full of life. The Spirit's covering every single aspect. Do you see that? Are there places where you yearn for that or long for that? Are there some places where you're like, no, it's just not there, but I want it to be. Maybe places where you don't know if you want that. This is some of our work today. This question of where is God present is a difficult one, especially as we emerge from a pandemic that's lasted more than 16 months at this point, that still has us walking precariously into an unknown future. Even if we have our own personal self-assurance, we don't know where we're going. Where's God present in that? Where's God moving in that? Where's God covering everything? This question of where is God is painful as we ready ourselves to mark one year later, as Daniqua was saying, one year later after the death of George Floyd, many more months and a year later for Ahmaud Arbery, for Breonna Taylor. And this question remains frustrating. Where is God moving? Where is God present? Where is God covering everything? As we acknowledge and mark not one, two, but three more new homicides in our city the past week and a half. And yet these difficult scenarios, they're exactly why we need the Spirit of God to orient us, to make us present to God and to the lives of the people around us. And so this story that we've been in, Grace on the Other Side, looking at the Exodus story, it's not going to be hopefully a surprise for you that the story ends with the Spirit of God. The story ends with God's Spirit making a powerful appearance. And we see here that Pentecost wasn't just this thing that happened in the New Testament after Jesus left, but The Spirit of God coming is something that we see throughout the scriptures. So we're going to look at that narrative because there's something about that story that we've been in that helps us think about how do we navigate our lives after crisis. Just like the Genesis narrative, we're going to see how the Spirit of God is moving, is present, is full of life. And then even our very moments can be led by the Spirit step by step. So let's pray together and then we're going to dig into some of the scripture. God, help us be present to you today. Help us care, God, for you as you care for us. Be with us, God. Be our God. Help us be your people. Pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So we've been going through this Exodus story, the story of Moses leading the people out of uh, Egypt where they were enslaved into this promised land. And we've been looking at gifts that God's given his people, the gift of celebration, the gift of provision, both material provision, but also this provision of a God who is for them, who is with them, who commands them through a story. We've looked at how God calls his people away from idolatry, says, that's not for you, and calls them into a life-giving relationship. We've learned about the gift of jubilee and Sabbath. And this last grace is all about presence, the presence of God and relationship. When we go to the other side, when we emerge out of difficult situations, guess who's there? Not just the person that released us from a bad thing, but someone's there to say, hey, keep coming forward. Keep moving. Keep being directed. Sometimes we're so focused on getting out of a bad situation, we forget the one that will lead us forward is still that same God. It's not like we get out of a bad situation and we're on our own. Sometimes we just think that. We're like, whoo, made it. But that same God helps us still. He wants to direct us. He wants to lead us into a new life where we follow him step by step after the trauma, after the difficulty. We'll see in this story that it's all about following the cloud, following the fire. This is a, a life where we're set apart by God, where we live as the priesthood of God. We're doing the stuff of God for the people of God. And we're also being people who are marked by obedience. How do we get there? It's not a ticket we can buy through a plane or a train or an automobile. We get there by being a certain kind of person that's marked by the Holy Spirit. So we don't just go somewhere. We don't just have a destination. We actually become a certain kind of person through interactions with the Spirit of God. So let's look at our passage for the day. And I want to start at the end of the passage and work our way backwards. We're actually going to look at Exodus chapter 40. It's verses 34 through 38. It's the last chapter of the book of Exodus. It's the very end of this narrative. We'll look at 34 through 38 and then a little bit later we'll back up and then look at how Moses and God got to where uh, we are. So here's what it says in 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the Israelites would set out on each stage of their journey. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in the cloud by night, before the eyes of all the house of Israel at each stage of their journey. Israel, guided, not by you know GPS, not by super clear instructions, but by presence, the cloud and the glory, the presence and the fire. This is the end of the Exodus story, a story about an enslaved people who are called to celebrate slavery being over. People are called to look to God for provision. People are called to have this kind of story that's a command, I am the Lord, your God. And people that are called to be obedient to God alone, to rest, to be people of justice who regularly and courageously set society again and again to be more equitable, to be more just. The story ends with a hope for promised land. And again, that way of getting there is not found on any easy map. Instead, it's mapped onto faithfulness. As they look to the cloud, as they look to the glory, they look to the fire and they go step by step, night by night, day by day. Let me just run this back one more time for you guys. Just one more time. 
God's grace, maybe unfortunately, I think it's fortunate. Hopefully I'll convince you it's fortunately, but maybe unfortunately for right now in our understanding, God's grace is not Google Maps. Simple directions to where we want to go, even if that destination is the promised land. God's grace is his presence, the cloud and the glory, the presence and the fire that leads a recently enslaved people to a land of promise. The difference is huge here. So let's just park for a little bit to just learn together. We got to be honest with ourselves. If you need to go somewhere fast, you got a friend that might know some of the, the lay of the land, but you need to go really fast. And sometimes your friend, you're like, eh, they're a little, sometimes they're a little iffy or they're a little confusing, or maybe you don't know if you can tune into them. They're just going to be through phone. Do you go with Google Maps or do you call your friend up? Most of us like getting to the place we need to go as fast as we're allowed to get there. And that's allowed to get there like, you know, New Haven style, which means like, you know, I've heard stoptional is a word, like stoptional signs. Like that's a thing. Maybe just going like 10, 20 miles over until we see like something that could be dangerous. Like, so allowed is, you know, a, a generous term I'm using here. But we try to go as fast as we're allowed to go. What if that's not the way though? And I'm not trying to say the spirit's always slow and convoluted. You know, God's not necessarily an atlas in a Google Maps world or for some of us uh, old school people, you know, it's not MapQuest on Netscape with the dial-up modem. Like, I'm not saying that's who God is in like a Google Maps in your pocket world either. But, but think about it. Listening to God in, you know, the fall of 2019 as you're planning your schedule and thinking about your commitments and what God might be leading you to do is different than just planning your calendar as if you just want to go full tilt. Like, 2020, let's go! You know, the, the pastor that just like did like, you know, I, I know the excellent sermon series, God's vision and 2020. I think I know all the answers. Got like 2020 vision, right? You, you see what the pastor's doing there? Hopefully they were listening to God there. But it's not just like, you know, unexpected situations or why uh, we should listen to God's voice. It's not just like a COVID-19 surprise is the reason to tune into the Holy Spirit. We also have our own ideas of how we want to go, what we want to do, who we want to show up with. And the Spirit is able to guide us much deeper than our preferences at the moment. The Spirit is able to read our hearts to guide where we're truly supposed to go, to help us discover unexpected family we could have never known we would be with, concerns for the hurting that we just wouldn't have had if we weren't led to see something along the way, the discovery of our gifting when God's challenged us to grow. This is part of the work as the Spirit challenges us to love God more than anything or anyone else. So we see in that narrative in Exodus 40 that there's glory, there's a cloud, there's direction. But I just want to rewind back real quick to see how did we get there? Because I think sometimes that's what we want. We want this like big display of glory, this big display of like, can we be guided by God? And I just want to see how Moses got there. So follow me in the text. You can go uh, to Exodus 40, this is one through three. Because I want to look at how this all starts with relationship. And then just unpack three quick components of relationship. And then uh, say a little bit more before we wrap up today. So some of the most important words are in verse one. The Lord spoke to Moses. There's a relationship. On the first day of the first month, you shall set the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You shall put in the ark of the covenant. And you shall screen the ark with the, cur the curtain. 
We see here that the Lord is speaking to Moses, that Moses had this dramatic encounter with the burning bush a while ago. Now there's a sense of, I can hear from God. I can connect with God. That's something that is seen as normal. Maybe not each of the ways that God's speaking, but the sense that God is speaking is something that Moses believes. You know, I think he's empowered by this Ark of the Covenant, this story of promise, right? God's promised things to God's people. So there's relationship that's at the very heart of this encounter. Relationship to hear from God. Relationship to pursue this cloud and this glory that can seem so distant when we just read it in an isolated way. But when we hear this part, it's like, oh, maybe I too could hear from God and be directed. Now I want to see, just unpack three components that we'll see in this passage. Holiness, priesthood, and obedience. So next we see God's value for holiness. I'm going to pick up in verse 8. You shall set up the court all around. These are instructions to Moses. Hang up the screen for the gate of the court. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that's in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it shall become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar so that the altar shall be most holy. You shall also anoint the basin with its stand and consecrate it. We see some familiar words there, right? Holy, consecrate, anoint. These words are all about setting something apart, setting something apart to be for God, something designated to the purposes of God. And what's next is not just designating an object, but really a a person. This is the priesthood. We'll see this in verses 12 uh, through 15. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water. Picking up a little bit later, and you anoint them as you anointed their father, that they may serve me as priest and their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout all generations to come. A lot of times when you're reading scripture, you can get like a little direction like, oh, it's this basin or that pole. And all of a sudden there's a line like, the priesthood for all generations to come. It's like, wait, I think that means us. Like we are part of the priesthood for all generations to come. And then finally in one last little verse, verse 16, we see obedience. Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded him. We see a relationship that has a mark of holiness, a mark of the priesthood, and a mark of obedience. And this could feel far, but I feel like it's connected to this cloud and to this glory. I feel like when we see those things and we want to be directed by God, sometimes we lose sight of the fact that uh, relationship is central to seeing God move. Because what do we get when that happens? We get verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. You know, what could this look like in our lives? Like, how could we make this practical for us? You know, obviously, we're not probably going around doing this work of anointing and consecrating. But I just want to give you just uh, an example, like just kind of a story uh, of what this could look like. You know, some of us here had powerful times or memories where we moved to this city. Maybe for you it was at a young age. Maybe for you it was for school. Some of you guys are graduates today. And there's a question of what does it look like to try to see that as set apart, as holy, to see the way that your time here, however long it is, can be set apart for God. To think about the ways that, okay, I want my life, not just one part of my life, but my whole life to be set apart. And then to think about this kind of priesthood word, like what would it mean for me to be a priest? Let's just choose neighboring. What does it mean to choose a neighborhood to live in where you could actually talk to your neighbors? You could actually maybe uh, have a few conversations. If one of them said, hey, I'm having a hard day, you could 
maybe minister encouragement to them. Maybe, again, I know this kind of stresses people out sometimes, maybe they end up sharing something with you that's pretty deep. Could you offer forgiveness to them? Could you say, hey, I know this is kind of weird, but I believe in this God that forgives us. Can, can I share that with you? Like, what if God actually wanted us to slow down our life so much that we were thinking about relationship with every step and thinking about, is this part of my life set apart? Could I be a priest here? Like, obviously, with God's help, not doing it yourself, but could I offer some of the like, encouragement that God's offered me? And could I actually just obey the simple things God is telling me to do? Sometimes we set up our lives to be so efficient, to be on the same route where we're like, we have 10 minutes. We're going to wake up, do our thing, then we know we have 10 minutes to go from A to B. And God sometimes wants a lot more to happen in those times. He's like, give me a few more letters. You know, it's not A to B, but like A to J, A to, A to you know, like, can, I, can there be a few more stops of faithfulness? And what if we said, when we can't do that work of setting something apart, maybe being a part of this priesthood, we would say, maybe that's not for us anymore. Like, maybe it's just too packed. Like, the schedule's too packed. We live too far away from where we want to be centered. We can't do this thing. I think when we arrange our lives that way, we see verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory filled the tabernacle because we're setting ourselves up for a life where we're marked not just by our own efficiency or busyness, but by this kind of waiting for God to move, a waiting for God to make space in our lives for something deeper. Remember what I said earlier, that ancient poem, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. God spoke to Moses. Moses listened and obeyed. There's a way to the promised land opened up that looked like being led by the spirit day by day, night by night, the cloud and the glory, the presence and the fire. That's what we see opened up here, but it's through those things of relationship true relationship with God. A life like that has the Spirit present, moving, covering absolutely everything. This is why Pentecost is huge, because somehow we're able to celebrate. If you caught something in the passage, Moses actually doesn't enter the temple. He doesn't enter the tabernacle, right? There's not a, a way he can do that yet. The glory is sort of like too strong, But there's a way that we can see us in this story, this part of the story of God. And we see that actually we can enter through the work of the Spirit. Even though we're people who often don't trust in a promised land, often have our own definition of what heaven is, people that can break relationship with God often can maybe not think this setting apart really is for us. Like, wait, our whole lives? I can set apart like this Jesus thing, like maybe this like Sunday, this, this short thing. But I don't know if I can set apart my my whole life. We can scoff at the Israelites for worshiping a golden calf. Like, that's so silly. Why did they do that? But these are people that still follow this cloud and this glory, even if it was through Moses' obedience, not their own. So they, they become these people that follow, led by the Spirit. So the question I have for you is, have you made space in your life to follow the cloud and the glory? the presence and the fire. That space for waiting. Like that 50 days later thing is huge. Think about it. Your leader died, Jesus. To go back to the Jesus narrative and and waiting for the spirit, your your leader died and, and then you have to wait week after week after week with no sense of direction until finally 50 days later, this crazy act of the spirit comes. And you're even wondering at first, like, 
is this God? People are just like speaking gibberish. Like what's going on? But then finally you see what God is up to. But you have to make space and wait. So we make space and wait by cultivating a relationship where we listen to God like Moses did, like the disciples did when they waited for Jesus to come. We make space and wait by living holy, which doesn't mean living perfectly. It means living uh, a way that we're setting our, our, our life up for God to be set apart for God's work. It means we don't have like a work life or we don't have just like a, a Jesus life or just a romantic life or just a friend life, but we're saying, no, the whole thing is for God. And we're hoping that all of it's set apart for his purposes. We make space and wait by joining God's work as priests, as co-laborers, who see ourselves as people tending to God's creation and people and communities with love and with power. And we make space and wait through our obedience, often slow, often costly, often misunderstood, kind of like following a cloud, following glory, following presence and fire in the age of Google Maps, where it's just a little bit easier. And again, it's not that God won't ever be fast or efficient. It's just that we can't hold God to that default and then get mad at God for being different, for moving different, for moving in a way that we just get upset at, as if God isn't different than us. This involves us pressing into relationship. Remember that relationship that has holiness, priesthood, and obedience at the center. This is work that we fail at, but Jesus did this perfectly. That's part of how we can enter into the work of Jesus. It's how the tabernacle can be a place that Moses doesn't enter, but Jesus does. And we get to through what he did. We have access now to Jesus' relationship, his holiness, his priesthood, his obedience. It runs through us. So even when we fail, we're tethered to those clouds, the, the glory, the presence, and the fire. And when we make space, when we wait, we're directed. As I wrap up, I just want to share uh, just one thing about some challenges that I named earlier and the way that I've seen our community uh, make space and wait. Not perfectly, but have tried. You know, I think there's some challenges that we've seen in this past year. I mentioned at the top, you know, COVID-19, racial injustice, and homicides in our city. You know, I think in COVID-19, we've seen the limits of what it means to keep ourselves safe no matter how hard we've pureled, no matter how much we've masked, no matter how much we've done our own thing, we realize that we weren't uh, only dependent on our best practices, right? That didn't stop a pandemic from happening. It didn't stop it from getting worse. We've seen some of this uh, incidents of racial injustice over and over again, even uh, apart from our best wishes. We've, we've wanted something to be different, and it hasn't been. We've seen the limits of prayers for peace as our city has had homicide after homicide after homicide. Prayers for peace are good, but people are still dying. What is making space and waiting look like? I think we've tried. So I just want to share, like even as a testimony, to like what we've done. When COVID-19 first hit, one of the things that we tried to lead our community into and the staff felt really strong about was we need to be rooted in God. If we're going to have capacity to love others, to get through something difficult ourselves, we need to make space to be rooted in God's love and God's purposes. It's so easy to say, we need to be insular now. We need to be protected now. Or even say, like, let's sprint. Let's help every single person we can. We didn't do either of those things. We said, what if we have to go deeper, deeper into the love of God? What if we have to make space and wait there and just trust that God will direct us as we move forward? 
we've seen this as we've seen more homicides in our city. That we said it, it feels so weird to do this, but what if we have to just join our city and grieve together? What if we have to not ignore, which we know we're we're not supposed to do, but it's so much of where we end up, right? To say we're not trying to ignore, but it just gets overwhelming. And then we've also felt powerless to change something. But could we join the work of God by grieving lives? That oftentimes we're thinking, I don't know how to connect, but we realize this is just a few blocks from us. This is just a few streets over. Maybe they're significant streets over. Maybe they're a significant 10 minutes, but it's still 10 minutes. It's still a few streets. Could we join God there? Could we make space and wait, knowing that we won't necessarily solve anything, but we'll be with God in grief and be with God as our city grieves? And I think the one where we've tried to lean in, I don't want to say the most, but I think we've just seen God move in a certain way is even after Pentecost last year and George Floyd's death saying, what if we just mark out the time and say 50 days later? Because everyone gets impassioned. Everyone starts to say declarations and say what they would want to do or what they want to commit to. Not just the church, but the city as well, and also the activists in our city. What if we said 50 days later, the same distance between the cross and Pentecost, and said, what happens on the other side? Are people still saying the names of the dead? Are they still doing works of justice? And the answer for, I think, a lot of our city was no. There were even more instances of police injustice and police brutality, but it was like we moved on, like we didn't have a capacity to care for something longer than 50 days. It's where we on staff said, hey, let's just try to continue to care, continue to press in by marking this time, even just saying, hey, we're going to just have a witness of it's 50 days later. Where are we now? That's why Daniqua is leading one year later to say it's a year later. Where are we now? Why she's marking Jubilee to say life matters, not just when it recently has ended, but even a year later to say this life is sacred. Do you see what an act that is of waiting and seeing what God will do, asking for God to bring his spirit, asking for God to lead us and direct us by the cloud and the glory, the presence and the fire. It can feel embarrassing to wait that long. It can feel silly. But what if that is the work of the kingdom? What if that's what God is doing in our midst? Giving space for God to say something like, hey, Press into nonviolence is part of what you're doing here. We did that six months later because we're trying to make space and listen. These are a few imperfect examples, but they're from our life together at ECV. So I, I need to ask you this as we're on a Pentecost Sunday. You know, what's happening in your life? And what is making space and waiting look like for you? Waiting isn't fun, but it's what we do to see the Spirit move. So where personally are you making space and waiting? For what reason? How are you asking God to show up? How does it press into relationship, to something being set apart for you, into obedience for you, into joining God as a co-laborer for you? What about our life together as ECV? Do you see situations in our city? Do you see other things that you're like, we need to make space and wait to care for the schools of New Haven? We need to make space and wait to care, yes, still for peace in our city, as this homicide number goes up and up, we need to still make space and wait. As we see one year later, what's changed with police brutality, with, with violence and bias? Not much. So how do we make space and wait in our lives? I want to pray for us as we close to follow courageously by pressing into relationship with God that's only present through the work of the Spirit. 
There's something God does through the Spirit that allows us to have breath on us, have life on us, that the Spirit's moving and present all over. So let's press into relationship with God. Let's set apart our lives. Let's join the priesthood of all believers, the one that's happening for generations to come. And let's pursue courageous obedience. I want to invite the worship team to come up. You know, there's an event happening later, Come Holy Spirit. And we pray, Come Holy Spirit, confidently knowing that Jesus did work that makes that prayer more powerful than our own righteousness. There's work Jesus did that makes that prayer not just like kind of a magic spell that we do, but actually comes from God's work in us. Jesus' work in us, what he did that we get to accept and receive. That's what we celebrate in communion. We celebrate Jesus' work in our story because somehow this ancient act is still tied to our lives. So I want to invite you into communion to make something ancient present. To make this invitation of a daily following more real to us. That's what Jesus did on this earth, to follow Jesus, to follow God every single day. I want to invite you to take the bread, the body of Christ, broken for you, and to consume it. And then to take the cup, which is the blood of Christ, shed for you and to drink it. As we take these elements in, we mark that this story is a way that we follow our God. We mark that this story is a way that we're being led. And we mark that it's more than a story, but the Holy Spirit is witnessing to that story having power. So let me pray before we begin to worship God again through music. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come in power, Lord? We say, come Holy Spirit, and we know we're witnessing not to our own personal righteousness, but to your covenantal promise to us to be uh, the cloud and the glory, the presence and the fire, to be uh, this God that guides us step by step, even as we make space and wait for you. So Lord, would you right now come in this time? Guide us, be with us and have your way. In Jesus' name.